Welcome to episode 33 of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. I am your co-host, the father, also known as Pastor Matt, a.k.a. known as Matt Rawlings, and I am joined, as always, by my trusty co-host, Jackson the Thun, ready for a radical new episode. <laughs> oh, so we are a spoiler podcast. We spoil the movies we discuss, and today we're talking about a personal favorite of mine. Although there may be a bit of what Gilman Joel calls C&D, we are analyzing the 1981 slasher flick Hell Night. Pray for day, Hell Night. Linda Blair and Hell Knight from Compass International, rated R. To do this, we need help. So, well, we need help anyway. But we are joined by our northern compatriots. First, from Canada, one of the co-hosts of LOTC, Land of the Creeps, Mr. Bill Van Vagel. How are you, sir? I'm doing awesome. I'm really looking forward to this. As I was telling you earlier, I watched the movie about two hours ago for the first time in about five. Uh, it's one that I've always kind of admired, and it's good to revisit it. And uh, taking a line from Jackson, always be careful when you're going over fences with pointy tops. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> and we are joined as well by the person I am calling the terror from Toledo. Oh, boy. There nice. we go. <laughs> Mr. Greg Bench. How are you, Greg? I'm doing well. How are you? I, 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 yeah, I'm just doing well. The weather's great up here today. so It's actually nice in Ohio today, isn't it? It's not bad. It is. It's almost 50. The sun is shining. Snow is melting. So it'll be a nice, nice week ahead. There we go. There we go. So, um, I'm so glad. And actually, Jackson chose Hell Night. We go back and forth, and he chose this out of his love for me because this was the first unedited slasher I, I ever saw, and it helped create my love of modern horror movies. I saw this first, as God intended, at a sleepover on cable in the middle of the night <laughs> with a belly full of pizza and soda pop. Um, that's how you should always see your first real modern horror movie. And so, um, I own this. I love it. I'll read the plot synopsis from the back of my Shout Factory, uh, Blu-ray. As an initiation rite into Alpha Sigma Rho fraternity, four pledges must spend a night in Garth Manor, 12 years to the day after the previous resident murdered his entire family. Two of the pledges, Marty and Jeff, ignore the rumors that the now deserted mansion is haunted by a crazed killer until one by one. Members of their group mysteriously disappear. Could this be part of a fraternity prank? Or is it a demented former tenant seeking revenge? When this seemingly innocent night turns deadly, these college students will do anything to survive Hell Night. Directed by genre filmmaker Tom Simone of... Reform School Girls, Angel 3, the final chapter, and also some adult fare. This horror classic has a talented <laughs> young cast, including Linda Blair of The Exorcist, Vincent Van Patten of Rock and Roll High School, Peter Barton of Friday 13th, the final chapter, and Kevin Brophy of The Seduction. So, oh man. Um, so, Bill, this is the first time you've seen this, at least in a while. 
Initial thoughts on Hell Knight. Initial thoughts is you first watch it and you think, okay, it's part of that Friday the 13th, the burning, like that era is where just before dawn, you know, kind of when the slasher was just getting big. So you go in, your expectations could be really high or low, depending upon what you uh, think of the, that genre. Right. And then you and then you watch it. And honestly, I was surprised pleasantly rewatching how strong the acting was. I thought the acting was better than uh, you could expect. I wouldn't say Oscar winning or anything, but right. Uh, the characters and the actors, I think, gave their best effort towards the film. And not that they were necessarily endearing, but at least you kind of <laughs> cared what happened to them. Oh, yeah, we'll come back to that. I think that's a good point. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, I was going to say, I think it played it a bit safe sometimes because it follows a lot of the tropes of a slasher, but like it doesn't show your traditional nudity. It doesn't show a lot in the way of right. violence in terms of blood. There's not much gore involved. So it kind of pushed the line, but only it made a point of only going so far. Uh, the girl alludes to having cocaine, but you don't actually see her taking cocaine. So right. they kind of push it to a limit, and then they, I don't know if it was the MPAA was big back then or yep. whatever. That's what I'm going to bring up later is, yep, the MPAA had a, had a significant role in how this movie turned out. And I figured it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can, you can kind of see it in a few of the uh, scenes, the, definitely the key scenes where they kind of, it cuts really quick and kind of jarring, and it's like, wait a second. So. Yeah, and that's why I was going to go to next. So what about you, Greg? When... Had you seen this before? What are your initial thoughts? No. Oh, no, wow. I was I was a hundred percent brand new, and I've I've used it uh, uh, two times for this episode, and wow, um, a, a kind of a pleasant surprise. I mean, as Bill st stated, it does fit into that trope, but yet it wasn't into like the later '80s where it was cookie cutter. It was definitely right. the early where it was still kind of awkward. They really weren't getting their footing. Um, and this actually kind of had that blend of a haunted house movie too. Um, obviously yeah. with the slasher and the killer and the, you know, it's those early uh, slashers like this one that kind of play off of what, like when I was a kid, you know, those stories that you would make up with your friends as you would right. walk down the street and you'd see that house that may not be unkept or you never see who's in it. And you, you know, Hey, you know, the rumor is old man Carruthers over there, you know, and fill in the blank. Right. And that's right. exactly where this was for me. Yeah. Absolutely. And Jackson, was this your first viewing this week? Oh yeah. I didn't know anything about it. I just uh, knew what shutter told me. And, um, you know, during the first five minutes, I was totally convinced this was going to be way schlockier than it turned out to be because we've got a party going on. People are smoking. They're 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 drinking a lot. Uh, it, I think it starts off with a scream. Then it's revealed that they're just dancing around in the water. And I was like, OK, so it's going to be like like this kind of slasher, um, kind of Friday the 13th, part seven kind of vibe. But then they go into this whole mysterious, you know, monologue, this exposition scene where they talk about the history of, of Garth Man. Manor, and it gave me chills. I was like, okay, so this is like Hammer-esque mystery um, kind mm -hmm. of a thriller movie. So I was I was hooked after that. And, and I thought the story was really well told by the actor. 
I thought he did a good job with that. Yeah, Kevin Brophy, yeah, he had to memorize. That's a long exposition for a young actor, and I thought he did it well. And that was probably his best line of the movie, too, because he had a lot of awkward moments <laughs> up, uh, hitting on the girls and stuff that was yeah. almost chuckle-worthy. So, yeah. Uh, and also with that intro song, that was... Uh, a, I, I wanted to actually spend time and try to find it and listen to just the song hell night for the film which, which was uh which actually had some history behind it too but i i looked up oh i didn't know that oh, let's hear that yeah um well lisa miller sang it which i wasn't familiar i didn't do any search on her but mm. these other two names sounded familiar uh, Daniel Wyman and Bob Walters. Bob Walters wrote the lyrics and Daniel Wyman did the music. They both worked with John Carpenter in their early days. Oh, wow. Wow. So I found it to be very interesting. And Daniel Wyman even did a lot of work with the old Moog, Moog synthesizers. The Moog, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So it was, it was just kind of neat to just kind of dive in a little bit deeper on some of these things but it was a catchy 80s tune for uh, uh, for any movie you know i i was that's that's fantastic greg thank you for doing that research i i was worried going back into this um that i would have what gilman joel at h&p and retro movie geek and i was actually messaging him back and forth um s several times this weekend um th that this would be a C and D kind of deal what he calls you know cinematic nostalgia disorder um you know in short it's a movie you loved as a kid but you're watching it as an adult you're like oh um and yeah i saw this first when i was 10 years old and now i'm 47 i will admit that there are a few issues here i mean the you know I, I was watching it again today i watched it last night and today i watched it last night on shutter i watched it today on my blu-ray and i was like there were times when i was going Oh man, did the, the screenwriter write the dialogue in crayon? I mean, seriously. <laughs> uh, but and some of the acting at times, sometimes by Vincent Van Patten, is a little painful, a little bit at times. Yeah. Yeah. But I still love this movie, and especially because it was, like I said, the first unedited slasher film I'd ever seen. Ten years old, and so. First thing I want to do before we dig into the cast and the plot and all that kind of stuff is ask, do you guys have such a film? Do you have an early horror flick that you're like, okay, I don't, you know, I don't know if other people are going to find this good or bad, but it was so early on, it got me going. So start with Greg. Greg, do you have a horror film like that that you're like, you know what? I'm not sure if other people <laughs> like this, dig it, but I saw it when I was a kid. And I loved it, and I still love it. Um, nothing, nothing is actually popping inside my head besides some of the some of the greats out there. Um, so the Friday the Thirteenth, the Halloweens, the that yeah, kind of but I mean, but even before that, um, some of the older, the classics, things that people always watched, uh, Universal Monsters, yeah, uh, Abbott and Costello. Um, what was fascinating was at my elementary school of all places had this book series that actually had monsters in it, like from the fifties and the thirties and the forties. Oh, wow. And it 
and it broke down the story. So it was actually written for elementary school age kids, but <laughs> with these horrific, un- well, you know, Frankenstein, uh, Godzilla and, and his monsters and uh, them with the giant ants. I remember reading that book and oh, Invasion yeah. of the Body Snatchers and, and Blob. And it was just this book series. And for years, I thought I was just going insane. And I actually, when my son started going to the same elementary school, I was like, hold on a second. Can I go into the library? And they were still there. And I, they wouldn't let them take them out or anything. But I spent like five, ten minutes quickly scanning them, writing down the names. And I actually own, I actually found one on eBay uh, or no, um, on Amazon from a second-hand bookstore. Um, I found one of them that I was like, I just have to own this just for fun. Oh, um, that's awesome. As for movies, you know, early on, everything was kind of through the filter. So Cat's Eye and and, and obviously the oh, Friday yeah. the 13th. My brother was a huge fan, um, as you said, with pizza and, you know, middle oh, of yeah. the night. Uh, that probably started for the first time unedited would have probably been Freddy four, which I okay. still hold to be my favorite only because of the CND. Um, I think the other movies in the Freddy series hold better, but that was the one where my friends, it was like seventh grade and my friends were like, dude, we rented these movies. It starts and they end up bailing. They end up, I can't watch, we can't watch this. We're not going to sleep, you know, but I'm glued. And here's this kid's older sister. And she didn't want to sit by herself. And I'm like seventh grade and she's in high school. So nothing happened. It's not one of those stories, but it was still kind of a a, a pleasant memory where, you know, we kind of bounced off each other. And then it was like, how are we going to go to sleep? And then we put in some goofy comedy, probably like Police Academy 5 or something. Um Right. And obviously you eventually fall asleep with the not the Gutenberg. That was the big letdown for police academy five. No Gutenberg. No I'm, Gutenberg. I'm a, you know, and that's yeah, and that's I'm let's a, face it, that's been the last thirty years, no Gutenberg. Um yeah. <laughs> he kind of disappeared <laughs> in nineteen ninety. Um mm-hmm. I you know what? I, I've come to the place where I'm just like where somebody tells me their favorite horror movie and, and, and they may say something like, Oh, Hellraiser three, Hell on Earth. And I'm like, you know, my initial reaction is, what's wrong with you? But, it, you know, I now I'm like, oh, it's a hell night kind of thing. It's, you know, it may be a hell night kind of thing where it's just like, oh, this is the first one I saw, you know. And so this is the way it is. And I will tell you what an impact hell night made. Um, being at a sleepover with my buddy, Dave Hansel, watching this on cable in the middle of the night, the movie before this that we watched, 10-year-old. 82, 83, somewhere around there. Fast Times at Richmond High. Oh, wow. Nice. The dream BBK. police inside <laughs> of my head. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was Fast Times at Richmond High, and then this one, and this one's maybe impact. So it, that should tell you something. So, Bill, do you have do you have an early horror movie you remember seeing that was like, oh, this is it. This is awesome. Well, I've seen, I, I, I was relaying a story to you on a message this week where, I remember I was about 12 years old and we had a video store down the road that really would just give anything to anybody who looked big enough to hold the, to get up and get it. So uh, we went up and it was called Bandito Video. 
and uh, is it independent? One of those ones where the adult one at the back had the doors that swung back and forth to go. Right, in. right, yeah. So, but but near the adult section always happened to be the horror movies. So we went to the back and remember pulling down the one you did last week, Sorority uh, oh, Slumber Party Massacre, Massacre yeah. and Microwave Massacre. Oh, yeah. Took both of them with nice. Jack Vernon, who was the voice uh -huh. of uh, Frosty, seeing yes. him being the perverted <laughs> uh, killer. But it's hilarious, and it's a, it's a, to be honest, it's a brutal movie, but it has uh, really good thoughts for me from going back then. The other one I have is an early Ivan Reitman film called Cannibal Girls. Cannibal Girls, yes. And I, I really enjoyed it. I mean, it was shot an hour from my house up in Beaverton, Ontario. It gets shot in Nowhere's Ontario. But it's it's got that campiness, you know, an okay. early Eugene Levy, an early Andrea Martin, and just... You know, when you're 13 years old and you see boobs, you know, you're happy, right? right? <laughs> yeah. And, and some yeah. bad and some bad blood and just, just you know, go with the thrill. It's cold. It's freezing. There's as much snow there as I have in front of my house right now. I just... <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I always smile whenever I see Cannibal Girls. Oh, absolutely. All right. So this is going to be interesting because I've never asked my son this. Jackson, <laughs> what was the early one for you that was like, okay, this is it. This is it. Uh, probably Creature from the Black Lagoon and that it's a movie that I really, really enjoy, but most people don't seem to enjoy it, at least my <laughs> age. Because um, let's be honest, it's not the strongest narrative-wise. Um, it's basically that old uh, Beauty and Beast sure. kind of thing, like King Kong. Uh, but it's so beautiful in that stark black and white, and the creature is just so intimidating. Um, and I think there's this weird kind of magical nature when you're watching it, and this boat is just kind of drifting through uh, the lagoon, and it's just like this otherworldly kind of presence. You feel immersed in this jungle. Um, so that that's the movie for me that um, whenever I watch it, I get really excited about movie making and I want to go out and shoot something. And then I realize that I don't have the abilities to make a giant latex monster suit and, you know, go out and make a set and make a giant water tank to film a, a movie in. But um, I mean, it, it gets me in that mood to start writing. Uh, aside from Creature in the Black Lagoon, I think. Um, yeah, is there a slasher there that you yeah. like? Uh, what was like Probably. the first slasher you saw? I was like, oh. Yeah. The first slasher I saw that really got me into. Uh into slashers was probably Texas Chainsaw, and that's debatable if, really? it's real, if it's a slasher because a lot of people don't consider it that. But Texas Chainsaw was one where I'd seen it before, but not maybe not all the way through um, and not in the right context. But I was over at a friend's house, and everybody else had gone to sleep, but I couldn't because there was no bed. There was just no space, and the, ent the entire <laughs> floor was covered in people just kind of laying down. Everybody had passed out, and I was in this little corner like at the foot of the bed, and I had no room to, to, to lay down, so I just sat up and watched uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre with my headphones in, and I was really disturbed by it. I mean, I felt like like um, really scared just sitting there watching this movie, even though I wasn't alone. I was surrounded by so many people. So that one really, really got me in slashers. I mean, that same night, I watched uh, Halloween 2 as well. Oh, so that, that was a one. good night for me. Nice. Um, lots of letterbox reviews came out of that trip. That's very nice. It's very nice. So, um, I, Bill, you brought it up. I, the acting, I, I don't want to throw everyone under the bus. There are times Vincent Van Patten gets on my nerves in this, but not often. I think overall the cast, I think you're right. I, I think the cast does do a good job. I think Linda Blair delivers 
one of her best performances um other than in obviously the exorcist but oh yeah um i i think she's really good and i had a crush on her at the time after seeing this i feel a little weird now what re-watching it because mm-hmm. she had such a baby face with her cleavage sticking out but mm-hmm. i i do like her and i also like peter barton in this so let's go to you first bill what do you what do you think the performances overall um I will agree that sometimes they were a little hollow, like a little empty, but I thought they were better than your standard uh, slasher throwaway actors. Actually, I think they each probably did the best they could given what they were given. Right. And I think Linda Blair actually was fairly strong. I should have, uh, on our LOTC, I forgot to put her on our Final Girls episode. Mm-hmm. So I was thinking I should have put her on because she kind of kept her head about herself. And yeah. uh, they 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 did highlight her cleavage a lot more than I was really expecting us to. Yeah. Yeah. But 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 um uh the one character I found funny was the one Seth. Yeah, Vincent Van Patten. Yeah. Vincent Van Patten, which was a little over the top, but there was the one scene where he gets out of the house. I mean, I'm not going to give away everything, but he got out of the house. Uh, we're the... a spoiler podcast. You can do it. Yeah. Go for it. But 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 he uh, goes to the cop shop, and he they won't yep. listen to him. He happens to conveniently walk into the room where there's a loaded shotgun sitting there, <laughs> and he hops out the window. And I'm sitting there thinking this is very reminiscent of the, going back to Ted Bundy when he was in the jail, and he hops out of the third yeah. level to. I, th- I was thinking, this guy, friggin' Ted Bundy, jumping out of the cop shop. To... <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. It, it, it got a little fantastic at times. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I'll I'll comment on this later. But if you watch, because I own the Shout Factory Blu-ray, if you watch the commentary, the producer and director to this day, or at least till they shot the commentary, disagree over this. Like the director's like, it's an evidence room, and and the cops are just boneheads, and the producer's like. They're not that much boneheads. Who's leaving loaded guns laying on a table? They get into an argument in the commentary about how easily he gets in there. And the director says, the director is really defensive. He's like, no, 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 no. It can happen. It can happen. And so they still argue about that to this day. I do think that Vincent Van Patten early on kind of got on my nerves. But I agree. Once he gets out of the house, I think his performance improves. Um, and then I think he's really good. And I think the rest of the cast is really good. So, yeah. Greg, what do you think about the performances? I, I think you got a pretty much spot on. I mean, most of the um, actors and, and, and actresses kind of fit their role perfectly. You can kind of tell who's going to make it towards the end and who's not. Um, Mae West, who is a little small character, but I thought that she was fitting as being the the, the poor sorority girl that got linked in with Jimmy and Peter mm-hmm. or uh, Ke- Kevin, sorry, Kevin, yeah. Jimmy and Kevin. Uh, I, she, she did a good job with, with what she was given. Um, Jimmy was kind of annoying at times because he was kind of spastic and the even Kevin, you know, Kevin points that Brophy. out. Yeah. 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 P- Peter Brophy. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. Go ahead. You know, and then you know the the character of Denise. Uh, I think she did a good job as being the bubbly airhead. You hate saying it, but she fit right into that mold. Where Seth was, you know, oogling and googling her. Uh, and then you have the the two, Marty played by Linda Blair and Jeff right. that kind of are, are 
you know, they're in a similar situation, but yet polar opposites because, you know, they have their big dialogue about, you know, he comes from a rich family. She comes from, you know, a working class family. Mm -hmm. And yet there they are together in this mansion having to survive the night. And I, I felt like everything seemed very natural that came to it. And I mean, there's some interesting things uh, just because here's my moment of Vincent Van Patten, obviously son of Dick Van Patten. Right. He had some interesting history. Did you read about him at all? Yeah, I have read about him a little bit, but go ahead. Yeah. Oh, he, he was a huge tennis star. Um, and he, and um, that's what he did before he, I mean, he was an, a child actor, but he yep. then ended up becoming a tennis pro. And that didn't go very far, but I mean, he was, you know, when you see, when you see the movie, you're like, dang, that dude's ripped. And that kind of made sense. Um, And then another thing that I didn't know, or I did, I just couldn't remember. He was the commentator for the world of poker tour. I did not know that. I did not see that. You're digging deep for that. Yes. So back, back in the, the early 2000s, he did the commentator. For the World Poker Tour. Wow. Yeah. I, interesting I stuff. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, Jackson, what did you think of the performances? Well, I was kind of uh, taken aback because in the beginning, they seemed weaker than... I mean, I think they improved as, as the movie went on. Agreed. Uh, yeah. when, when Linda Blair and uh, Kevin Brophy are in the party... And uh, they're all, you know, doing that typical teen kind of thing where the guy's really into the girl and the girl's like, oh, just kill me now. You know, um, I was like, OK, so that, this is what the, the movie's going to be like. But then when uh, Jeff and Marty are having this conversation and they're uh, in the manor together, I was struck by how like theatrical Linda Blair was. I mean, she's got this kind of like soft yet commanding presence on screen. Um, and I, th- I thought it was really great. I thought the chemistry between Marty and Jeff was actually pretty good, especially mm-hmm. in the scene uh, when she's going to bed and she she tells him that she suggests he does the same. And he sits <laughs> down on the bedside and she says, wrong bed. And he just kind of sheepishly gets up and, and goes to his own bed. That was a great scene. Um, and I like that she's this character that's not written uh, as, yes, they show her cleavage a lot, but but she's not written as just like like the airhead that um uh what was her name uh suki goodwin is that her name suki yeah yeah um played denise was kind of written as even though i think she had a few good laughs she was written as a a comedic character um when they're having when uh vincent van patten and her having that whole thing about surfing um, so yeah. that, that, that was pretty funny, but overall the performance is very strong. Linda Blair, I think was the strongest though. I do agree. Vincent Van Patten, when he's trying to get the cop's attention and he's, uh, <laughs> kind of going Rambo mm-hmm. a little bit. Um, w- he had some really great lines. My favorite, I think the whole movie is when he points the gun at the guy to get out of his car and he says, I'm going to call the cops. And he says, great. Tell them I'll be at Garth Manor. Um, yeah. so <laughs> I mean, they, they, they never, they never do show up. No, no, they don't. They never do. So I guess that guy was just okay with his car being stolen. <laughs> um, you know, whatever. It's movie logic. Uh, um, 
And the, the, um, I took it as maybe the cops were so swamped that night with Hell Knight and all the pranks that were going on that they, they didn't get to call out to some reported, like, missing car because they just assumed some college student did it. But, uh, yeah, like I said, the cast, pretty good overall. Uh, not something that I would point to somebody and be like, this is this is acting right here, you know. But uh, it's a lot better than most early slashers from that era. Yeah, I agree. And so... Here's something I came across I didn't know. Um, speaking of Peter Barton and Kevin Brophy, um, th- this was a urban myth that turned out to be true. I, I, I urban legend I that I heard about early on, but I thought was just a bunch of crap. But it's true. So a guy in Illinois who was a fan of this movie and uh, really a fan of Peter Barton and Kevin Brophy never met either one of them died shortly after the DVD release of Hell Knight came out. He left those two half of his $1.6 million estate. Wow. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> he left each one of them four hundred grand um, just because he was a fan of Hell Knight. Good for him. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm hoping for it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's... Um, <clears throat> weird story, but it, you know, it, it, it's a shame that, I mean, most of the actors in this movie, they, some of them limped into the nineties, late nineties, you know, uh, I know that Vincent Van Patten is, is producing now. He's got some gigs here and there. Linda Blair and Peter Barton basically live off of the convention circuit. Um, Suki Goodwin, she got married, moved to San Francisco, but I really think looking at this movie, it's such a shame that Linda Blair went on a drug and alcohol binge throughout the 80s that all but destroyed her career. Uh, Dating Rick James in the early 80s probably didn't help um, if you've seen Chappelle's show. Um, (laughs) Because I thought she showed promise here. I mean, this is one of the, you know, I've seen her as a teenager, whatever, and Wes Craven's Summer of Fear and all that kind of stuff. And I thought she was okay. But looking at her here, I thought she could have had a really decent career, and it kind of died off. Anybody disagree? No, I, I mean, she later got into all that Playboy stuff. She posed, yeah. and I think she was spiraling. But if she could have taken that leap of embracing herself, kind of like, um, oh, uh, Laurie Strode. Yeah, Jamie Lee Curtis. Jamie Lee Curtis kind of embraced it, and then it led to other things. If she could have had to have gone down that path. I don't think she quite had the same acting chops, but she could have parlayed it to something a little more than she did. Yeah, I think she could have had a career anyway. I mean, but, but you know, by the 90s, she's basically, you know, I mean, Wes Craven puts her in a cameo and scream just as kind mm. of a joke. I mean, it's not uh-huh. at that point, her career is basically over. Um, and I know she had also, she had emotional problems and, and, and so forth. But I thought she was, I thought she was pretty strong here and she could have parlayed it into a career what do you think greg yeah yeah uh I, again not really being familiar with this movie and being pleasantly surprised that there's little reagan grown up uh, quickly mm-hmm. you, you realize that she's grown up and uh she did a great job with uh as 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 jackson pointed out early in the film it's a little lopsided a little awkward but by the end she plays a, a very compelling final girl. Um, and looking at her, you know, repertoire and her work history, she did kind of peter out after this movie, having, yeah. you know, small roles here and there. Um, 
then obviously reprising the possession role with repossessed. Oh, with, oh lord! With, uh, <laughs> I, I had to mention it whenever you bring up Linda. Linda oh, Blair, I got gotcha. you. <laughs> repossessed, <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of shameful that her career never really got got a good foothold. Yeah, yeah, I remember watching Repossessed on VHS, and I just remember thinking, "Oh my gosh, this is god awful." But I, yeah, bless her heart, Jackson. What did you think? I mean, let me ask you this: If you were, because you're an aspiring filmmaker, you're taking film classes, you're doing editing, you're doing all this stuff. If you could cast Linda Blair today, would you do it? Yeah, I mean, like, what's what's Other one than- more movie? I mean, what? other than like a Rob Zombie cameo. Sure, but I mean, like, what's one more movie in her career? I mean, you scroll, th- you scroll through her letterbox thing, and she's been in in everything from The Green Fairy from you know 2015 to uh, to Scream and The Exorcist. She's just really been in everything, ranging in quality drastically. I think she would do anything for money at this point. If 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 I were if I were to write a good script, you know that that wouldn't be like what's the bailout, dead sleep, or dolce sequestro. I'm just looking, just 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 uh, really scrolling through her her filmography with Martin Sheen. She was in a movie with Martin Sheen. Oh well, anyways, yeah, um, yep. uh, I I I would I would be honored to have her in my movie, but uh, it, it definitely would not top Hell Night. I don't think, and definitely not Scream or The Exorcist. Well, you never know. But uh, the director, Tom DeSimone, this was his first mainstream picture. Um, yeah, I, I, I just I just read about his back catalog. Yeah, yeah. Chatterbox. Yeah, 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 yeah. He was a porn director. Um, you know, he didn't have and he didn't have a great career really after this. I mean, no, unless but, but, but I didn't look it up. Be the final chapter in Reform School Girls, great cinema. But, you know, he also did um, episodes of Freddy's Nightmare. Yeah. And- and the swamp thing. Yeah, he did. So he also obviously had some affinity towards the genre. Yep. Yeah. And if you, and as I watched today, I watched the commentary uh, on my Blu-ray today with him and Linda Blair and the producer, including Erwin Yablons and all that kind of stuff. And I, so I watched that today. Um, he, he comes across as a guy who took this very seriously. This ran over budget because he was, very, he really wanted this movie to work, and he put a lot of hard work into it. And I will say that, you know, because I own the Shout Factory Blu-ray, it's a much better transfer than what I saw on Shutter and Tubi TV. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's a much better transfer. It's a 4K transfer. Uh, yeah, there's not a lot of gore. There's no nudity. But again, watching the commentary today, the gore was there. Um, the nudity wasn't, he didn't want it mainly because Linda Blair didn't want to do it. Suki didn't want to do it. Um, and the producer was very good friends with Linda Blair. So that that's where that came from. But the gore was there. It was the MPAA that made them cut. Like the decapitation scene was supposed to go on a little bit longer. The Jenny Newman who played the actress who's decapitated, um, she's her, you know, she stuck her head through a wall and they put a fake body under it. And supposedly the, the scene, which he thinks may be lost is they decapitated her. And then she rolls her eyes up and blood just starts pouring from her neck out of the wall. And they had to cut that. Yeah. The MPA said, Nope, Nope. X-rating. And so they had to cut it. You know, they had to cut stuff like that. But I do think despite all that, 
that there are a couple of scenes here that work really well. The decapitation scene preceded by what I think is a good jump scare with uh, pulling down the hole. I mean, Bill, what do you think? Uh, well, I was going to say my favorite kill was the one right at the end with the uh, impalement through the fence. Oh, definitely mine. I, th- definitely I, thought, mine well. I thought that was good. And it's kind of like a precursor to the Final Destinations. Those kind of uh, Cherry Falls had a, a, uh, an impalement. Like, I thought it was probably the best one of it. But I do remember the very first kill uh, was that Suki's character got decapitated. And I remember thinking, geez, it cut away really quick. Yeah. Like, like, like within an instant, you didn't. Even, I don't even think you saw any blood squirt out. Like it just went straight right. from head and that off. Was, to the next and that scene. was the, but that was the MPAA. That was it, they demanded that cut. Yeah. So I, I knew that something was in the water when, yeah. uh, like, and, like even an amateur horror director would have played that out a bit more. Oh yeah, yeah. Tom D. Simone wanted that to go on, and it didn't. And there was. A couple other things um, that he wanted that he just he just couldn't get, and he tried, but he just he just couldn't get it. So um, now that scene, I, I do like. I still like the decapitation. I remember being shocked by the decapitation scene. Yeah, I was ten, but mm-hmm. I remember being you know kind of shocked by it. Greg, was there a kill scene that stood out to you, or? Oh, uh, I think that if anything that was kind of a fun was when uh, Van Patten was thrown out of the window. <laughs> yeah, there you know, are a couple it, surprises here, right? I mean, yeah. I, I, I'll get to that here in a set here in just a second. So I want to ask you all those, all well, you guys, or the shot or the shotgun blast to, you know, the one brother, of the killers was yeah. also kind of cool. Well, that's yeah. We need to talk about that here in a second, but I agree with you. All right, Jackson, was it? Did you have a favorite kill scene? Uh, yeah, I I did like the decapitation. I thought it was really jarring that that quick cut on action. Um, I didn't mind that there wasn't any blood because I think it was more jarring that way. It almost kind of left me um, disturbed a little bit because it was it was really harsh. But the best kill in the movie has got to be of I guess little Andrew. Um, at the end of the film when he's on top of the, the, the car and she runs him right into the, the right. gate. I was wondering why there was that big setup where she backs into the gate and it bends in mm-hmm. half. And I was like, that's going to be something. I, but I didn't know exactly what it was going to be used for. And um, when she wakes up at the wheel and she gets out and starts walking away and you see his body impaled at the top of the car, that was oh, just yeah. a really striking image. And I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. I mean, it's just like really disturbing the way the credits just start rolling out of nowhere. So I think that was definitely my favorite kill. Well, and also the guy who played Andrew um, was a German stuntman who had, when you listen to the commentary, had recently migrated to the United States um, to do stunts. This was his first Hollywood gig. He died in a car accident right before the movie came out. Wow. Yeah, I heard about that. Uh, he didn't yeah. even get to see the fruits of his labor. Right, right. And everybody in the commentary said he was such a sweet man. We just cast him because he was so big. Um, he was like seven feet tall. And so that's why they cast him. But they And that final scene where he's impaled, he was on a rig. That's him. That's not a, that's not a dummy. That's him. And he was on a rig, and he just had to stay there for hours. And he never complained. He just did it. It was incredibly uncomfortable. So, uh, R.I.P. R- because the guy, you know, guy was a trooper. 
I mean, an absolute trooper. So the other scene that a lot of people comment on when Peter Barton says he goes to cons and people talk to him about this movie. And he says, look, most people want to talk to me about Friday the 13th, the final chapter. He said, but the other thing that comes up is Hell Night is the rug scene. Mm-hmm. You guys remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, I, that confused me. That that whole scene was really uh, kind of strange to me. I mean, I thought the buildup was was good, but uh, he gets stabbed and just kind of disappears under the rug without them noticing. Was, that was kind of a strange, <laughs> <laughs> strange sequence of events. There are no plot holes in this film, Jackson. Absolutely none. not. There are, <laughs> none. Yeah. there are no plot holes in this film. It has been verified by fine studies by online community <laughs> colleges, there is there are no <laughs> holes in this film. I like I because and here's the thing. Okay, now okay, this is C and D. I'm watching this movie laying on a couch in a room at two o'clock. I'm it's ten. I'm ten years old. It's two o'clock in the morning. I'm watching this in a room with hardwood floors and a rug. <laughs> <laughs> so you're feeling down below. I am, I am not wanting, I don't know whether to pee myself because I don't want to walk <laughs> over this thing. I don't know whether to go just sleep in the hallway. What do I do? To this day, I hate rugs because of that scene. Oh and my if you, gosh. If you listen to the commentary, it's funny to listen because the producer and director, they disagreed about that. It's like, they're on the third floor. Where is he coming from? And he's like, no, 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 no. There are, there are secret passages all over the house. That's just another secret passage. Well, where is it going to? And they're arguing on the commentary. But I'm sorry. I love that scene. There's nothing wrong with that scene. Here's my question. Oh, go <laughs> okay. ahead. No, no, I was just going to say, go ahead, Jackson. Finish your thought. Okay, I've just got a quick thing. My question oh, is, why would he be under the rug? Wouldn't it be better if he could see who he was about to attack? <laughs> remember, remember the opening dialogue by Kevin Brophy? He was a simpleton. He was not an intelligent person. Let's just keep that He's in mind. He's intelligent enough to, to disarm uh, Vincent Van Patten and, and dispose of him. Well, if you watch the surfer dialogue by Vincent Van Patten, how hard <laughs> to, to disarm true. him. That's I mean, true. this guy was not going on to Oxford on a Rhodes Scholarship. Let's right. just be honest, okay? <laughs> so, yeah. I love that scene. Am I alone here? Greg, help me out, man. Do you not, does no one else love the rug scene? <laughs> I, I mean, it was it was unique, but I am not <laughs> as in love with it as you are. I apologize. <laughs> I'll take unique. I'll take it. I'll so take are you it. are you saying that that this movie did for rugs uh, what a Nightmare on Elm Street did for drywall and plaster uh, wall like wallpaper? I, I, I'm just saying that. Going back to 10-year-old Matthew, I don't like rugs on floors. I don't want them there. So I we've don't... discovered a unique phobia today. This is this yes. could be like a like a, a medical podcast yes. at this point. Yes. I don't I don't want rugs on a floor. No, no. I like that scene. Okay, I'm alone. I like that scene. I don't care. I don't I mean Come on. Why did Jason leap in front of the cock car in Friday 13th Part 2? He had to hear it coming. I mean, come on. We're going to get into this. I mean, come on. Come on, Bill Shetty on Halloween 2018. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the other scene that took me for a loop for a sec was the one where they show the ghost. 
Yeah. 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 And I'm like, where the hell did that come from? Yeah. <laughs> like, like, are there are there like pyrotechnics in the in the uh, walls? Like, where is this? Where's this ghost? Is it like uh, uh, a Christmas Carol ghost? Like, where is this guy? Tom <laughs> Savini is a member of that fraternity. What can I tell you? Uh, and yeah, they have a lot of money. I was wondering the exact same thing. I mean, they're like, oh, okay, well, the doors were shut by this little button here, and I guess the ghost was just uh, just it's a protection. button as well. Yeah, but a 3D hologram in the in the early <laughs> 80s? I don't think they had that ability. With college they actually, kids? They actually did, and here's my proof. Uh-huh. All right, now, I'm going to have to go give myself a swirly after saying this because it's such nerddom, Okay. Rick Springfield in his 1984 concert film has holograms. Okay. Did it, oh, all right. Do you think if Rick Springfield can pull it off in 1984, darn it, frat guys in Southern California can do it. Okay, but do you think people on whatever Alpha Sigma Rho could could pull that off? Do you think they could have holograms that would convince one to play Alpha Sigma Rho? <laughs> All right, I won't. I mean, they do have the entire police station, you know, uh, pulling their hair out. So, and not, so. not, not only did they set it up, but the victims, one of them actually knows how to disassemble them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. That is true. There are no plot holes in this movie. So it's like no a little Home Alone. It's yeah. like Kevin McAllister has set up this whole house with all these traps. Uh, who knows? This may have been Chris Columbus's inspiration for Home Alone. You don't did know. You, did you read the IMDb notes where they said in this film, Frank Darabond was given credit as a production assistant? Yes. Yes. Uh -huh. Frank Darabond. I was just about to get to that. So I want to go through some of the cast and crew here because it's pretty amazing. But let me ask you all this first. And so I'll start first with you, Bill. Did you expect the second killer? No, I, I didn't. And I've seen a lot of these kind of creepy things, but uh, you knew that at, at the end, you're like, didn't he just bloody well get shot? Yeah. Then I'll, And you're like, where's this guy coming from? And so you kind of like, oh, okay. I mean, throw your logic out the window. Just enjoy for what it is. But I don't think, I, I mean, I'd have to rewatch, but were there any clues leading up like yes. cryptic? Yes. The, in the opening exposition by Kevin Brophy, he said there were two brothers. Yeah, I thought, but I thought uh -huh. he, I thought he said there was only one child that was. There was the rumor is that there was one child who survived, okay. but that's that was that was the urban legend that one child survived, but it turned out both survived. Okay, because I guess I, I guess I didn't take it into heart, right? <laughs> the speech well enough. Well, yeah. and that and that did. If you watch the commentary, they the the producer and director admitted it confused people. Two things confused people: one, people forgot about the opening exposition where they said there were two brothers; two, people thought that the head in the bed was Suki, and they didn't understand what Seth mm -hmm. was talking about when he was going. There's some dead chick in my bed. I don't know what happened to Denise. And they're like, "Well, wait a minute, what?" And so they didn't understand it was the head chopped off from the opening kill, that that's where it came from and that she had been dragged down to the basement. So they admitted that was confusing. So, yeah, yeah it is a bit confusing. So, Greg, did you expect the second killer? No. <laughs> okay. Again, I thought, but, but what was neat was I did remember the two brothers. So after that had happened and we, and we finally meet the final killer, I was like, son of a gun. They, they, they tricked me, 
you know. So <laughs> I fell hook, line, and sinker for it. I was not anticipating the second guy. Right. And so Jackson, what about you? Uh, no, I didn't expect it. But when I saw the guy, the guy shot uh, in the pond, and I saw there were twenty minutes left, I figured something was up. Um, <laughs> and uh, when it's revealed that there were the two brothers, I felt kind of, I kind of cheated, honestly, because um, if we're taking the rest of the exposition, that urban legend as as uh, scripture, that uh, you know, the whole thing with with the Garth family happened, I don't see why they didn't mention that two brothers survived. I don't know. It was kind of confusing for me. The Denise thing with the head did confuse me uh, at first right. but then i remembered the girl got her head cut off and I, right. I i pieced it together once they were like where's denise um but yeah i saw a blonde head in the bed and i just assumed that it was just a poor like special effect that it didn't look like her and then i remembered oh yeah there's another girl okay yeah it confused me at first um too it took me a while to put that um together so Mentioning people who were involved in this film, this film's got a, kind of a legendary reputation for the people who worked on it. Um, Erwin Yablons produced it, who, of course, also produced the Halloween franchise, along with Chuck Russell, which, if his Wikipedia page is, is to be believed, and I'm not sure it is, was 22 years old when he served as executive producer on this. And Chuck Russell went on to direct the Blob remake and Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors. Whoa. Do you have connections somehow? I, I don't know, because he's from Illinois. He's from Chicago. Mm. Okay. And it says, his Wikipedia page <clears throat> says that he was born in 1958. This was shot in 1980. It says he graduated from the University of Illinois in 1980. And so how he became an executive producer on this, I have no idea. But Unless he, unless he came from money. I, it, it, it must have. It doesn't say anything. But it, his Wikipedia page is like, oh, no, 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 they... You know, he worked his way up from production assistant to producer to director. And I'm like, in three months? <laughs> you know, how did that happen? It must, be, it must be darn good. Yeah, not to doubt that, you know, Wikipedia or anything, but I'm like, either no. his date of birth is wrong or, you know, um, he did this himself. Um, but yeah, he would go, he was executive producer. He went on to do direct Nightmare on Elm Street 3, The Dream Warriors, and The Blob. Um, Frank Darabont, as, as, as Bill, you mentioned, was a production assistant to Chuck Russell. He would go on, of course, to direct Shawshank Redemption and Joel Robertson. I love you, brother, but the amazing movie, The Mist. Uh, <laughs> and, and The Walking Dead. And The Walking Dead. Yeah, he co-created The Walking Dead. And according to Vincent Van Patten, on the Blu-ray, Kevin Costner worked as a grip on this film. Oh, my yeah, gosh. I saw that, yeah. Now, what is a grip? All right, so if you're a grip, generally speaking, you are helping out the electricians and other people move stuff. Okay. So you're basically, you're a hired hand. You're a roadie. You're a roadie. You're moving stuff. Yeah. Um, the difference between being just a general assistant and a grip is, is, generally speaking, you're supposed to know how to move what. Because if you're on a film set, um, some of that stuff you know, can't electrocute you if you don't know what you're doing. So, you know, it's it's that kind of stuff. And you also may be moving cameras, that kind of stuff. So it's <clears throat> that's a grip, uh, a grip and a gaffer are, are people who move stuff around. I think if I remember correctly, a gaffer uh, works more with electronics and a grip works more with cameras and different props and, and, and so forth. Though my favorite in credit of all time, if you watch the movie Airplane from 1980, mm -hmm. the the when it says gaffer. If you look at the credit, it says, what's a gaffer? 
<laughs> yeah, my 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 only understanding of what gaffer is is that is gaffer tape. I mean, that's the only thing I've ever exactly. used. Yeah, because you yeah because they do use a lot of gaffer gaffer tape. Also, an airplane. I can't remember it's airplane or airplane two. It says best boy, which is also a title. Best boy, and then under that says worst boy Adolf Hitler. Um, <laughs> but yeah, according to Vincent Van Patten, he said. He remembers Kevin Costner being a grip, and he ran into Kevin Costner in the 90s at a restaurant. He walked up and said, you know, excuse me, I'm such and such. Were you a grip on Hell Night? And Kevin Costner looked up and smiled and said, yes, I was. Oh, oh my God. God. So, well, was, he not even an, was he not even an actor by then? 81? No, he was not. No. no. His first film credit that I remember is 83, The Big Chill, where he's the corpse. Oh, yeah. And Fandango wouldn't have been that much later than that. 84, 85, yeah. 45, yeah. 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 And then Waterworld. What a film. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. We'll talk about that. But anyway. Um, anyway, we're going down a path. <laughs> yeah. We're going down. We don't want to go down that path. Kevin Brophy, uh, who plays the fraternity uh, president, still owns. He took the cape from that movie. He says, I stole it. That cape that I wore. <laughs> he took And he still wears it every Halloween. Good for him. That's yeah, awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, that, that's great. Absolutely. Um, the screenwriter, Randy Feldman, this was his first screenplay. Surprise, surprise. His follow-up after this was Tango and Cash. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and, and he did Metro did take, as well. I did take he? note on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he did Metro, which, okay. Tango and Cash is another one of those movies where I'm like, yeah, it's a piece of crap, but I kind of like it. Um, Metro, though, I think Metro is a good movie. I think that's a well-written movie with but Eddie Murphy. He, but then he, he pretty much stopped after that, didn't he? Like he all of a sudden, he hasn't done much more. He no, he's done, done much TV no. and stuff. No, he hasn't done yeah. much more. But I, I, you know, here for our first screenplay, I thought there were some some decent things in it. I, I, I agree with you, Jackson, Bill. You've all, Greg. You've all said it. I think it got better as it went on. The dialogue and everything, the acting got better. I'm not sure how much was changed on the set, but so be it. Um, I will give Randy Feldman this. It isn't just a body count movie. You get to know and care about some of these characters, and I like that. Yeah, they had to fill in the gaps with the last with the lack of uh, of uh, titillation. They had to kind of fill that in with dialogue. <laughs> true, true, and they talk about that on the commentary. They just basically said one: Suki didn't want to do it. Linda didn't want to do it. The, the director, even though, yes, he had done porn before, he was like, he was trying to break into the mainstream. He didn't want to push people. He didn't want to be, you know, and, and he also said, you know what? I just don't think it goes with the tone of the movie. He said, we were trying to make, and, and Jackson, you guys picked up on this. He, he said, we were trying to make a slasher set in like a Hammer horror film. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it definitely gave me those vibes, especially with this house basically being a castle uh, with its like stone walls and uh, and endless secret passages. And uh, th that that lightning kind of uh, stormy setting at some points in the movie. I mean, there's lightning and then it's just clear skies after that. I don't really know how that works, but um because uh, well, they shot for 40 days and they went two weeks over budget and they had one night of storms as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so, so just like a hammer movie, actually, where yeah. you'll have, you'll have Dracula's castle illuminated in lightning. Then the bat flies out and it's just clear skies. Um, 
but definitely like a mystery thriller just as much as a slasher. Yeah, I, I got a little bit of that 13 Ghosts kind of feel to it as well. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, good throwback. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But I, I still, I, I liked that. Greg, what do you think? I mean, did, did you like getting to know the characters a little bit more? Or did you think that was like Roger Ebert thought boring? No, I, I didn't think it was boring. Um, I mean, obviously, with the runtime of about an hour and forty minutes, yeah. uh, there were some some slow lulls in the middle where it could have just been cut just a little bit. The pacing could have been just a little tighter. I mean, and you wouldn't have missed anything because there was a lot of repetitive, uh, you know, not just their dialogue. It was just their their you know, it, it, the action just kind of petered out, yep. kind of. There's just yeah, little segments where it just could have gotten just a little tighter. And I'm maybe 20 minutes is being uh, unreasonable, but I'm just saying that it just could have been tighter in the middle. Um, because once we learn about the characters, then it kind of s- slows down. I know that people are getting killed and that's, that's moving along, but I, it, just between, you know, Marty and Jeff, it just, there were just moments where it was just like, uh, okay, let's carry on. But. Yeah, I agree with you. And did anyone else think that there were times when uh, Marty and Jeff are talking and you think, why aren't they doing kind of the Donald Pleasance, Michael Myers kind of exposition talking about Andrew and mm-hmm. so forth? Wouldn't people be talking about that? Yeah, we didn't get the back, so. the background fill. We didn't get nearly as much as I thought. Yeah, I thought that would have been more interesting for them just to be kind of like even in the rug scene. I thought it would have been stronger mm-hmm. if they were like talking about what if, you know, blah, blah, kind of, or, or kind of more like, you remember Jenny in Friday 13th Part 2, where oh, she's yeah. at the bar mm-hmm. talking about Jason Voorhees and that yes. kind of thing. I thought that would have been a stronger, to your point, Greg, you know, when they're sitting there having this exposition, they're sitting there having this dialogue that would have been, it would have been creepier and stronger if they're sitting there talking about, well, what if? Andrew's still around. What if, you know, what are we going to do? What I, I think that would have been more interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, definitely. And, 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 an interesting thing about the writer, I sorry to interrupt you, but no. I, uh, I just, you know, when you see a name like that, you kind of start to go, huh, that's a kind of a famous last name, Feldman. <laughs> yeah. So, I'm like, is he any relation to Corey? I know it's a stretch, but it's like, we all know Corey Feldman. Right. But, he does have a brother named Dennis Feldman, who is also a writer for such films as Just One of the Guys, a favorite from the 80s. Wow. Golden Child. Yeah, Golden Child. Oh, I saw I that in the theater. Was, wow, which me I too. It was interesting that they each wrote an Eddie Murphy movie. And then Species and Virus were wow. all from his brother Dennis Feldman. So it's it's you know between the two brothers they have quite the uh you know list. That's amazing. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's yeah, Good. that's pretty impressive. And so yeah, I give I have a uh, you know big fan of retro movie geek as I think most of you guys are and yep. And they used to play a game called um, Blame the Dane, where they would try to connect movies. And I used to always give Gilman Joel crap. It was like, there's so much, there's, you know, he would have like 20 steps between two movies. It was like, Joel, there are three steps here. And one of them was he tried to connect, um, wow, what was the movie? He tried to connect one of the movies to just one of the guys. 
that was his his big deal. And I was like, and he went through this like torturous route to get to just one of the guys. And he had forgotten that William Zapka was in. He oh yeah, he was trying to connect like the it, just one of the guys through like a Chevy Chase movie. And I was like, wait a minute, Joe, you've forgotten William Zapka was in European Vacation. With Chevy Chase. He was the Audrey's boyfriend. Am I the only one who remembers that? Billy Zabka. Yeah, the one, the uh, blonde guy. <laughs> yeah, he was, the he was, he was. Yeah, he's Audrey's boyfriend. Yeah. Remember? Because she's got that line yeah, yep, about yep, halfway yep. through where she's got the Italian sausage. And she goes, oh, I miss Jack. <laughs> <laughs> That's where she's, uh, she's sucking face with him at the barbecue at the beginning. Yes. And it's yeah. William Zabka. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right, I've gone off. I've totally Another, lost. another path. <laughs> yes, another path. But what I found ironic about this is we spend so much time with the characters. Roger Ebert says this movie is boring. He gives it one out of four stars. And yet, what's his big complaint about slasher films? They're just all stereotypes who are there to be killed. Mm -hmm. We don't get get any characterization. We don't get to know them. You give him a slasher where you get to know the characters, and what does he do? Well, it's boring. Yeah. <laughs> a bit of a contradiction there. Just a bit, don't you think? <laughs> he doesn't like the slashing, but he needs it to further the story. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, now, okay. now, an observation I made of it. I don't know yeah. if I'm out there. I found a bit of a connection to uh, a film that was a few years earlier, Black Christmas. Ah, because mm -hmm. I kind of got that feel. It's dark. Yeah. Uh, it's set in a college fraternity. Yep. Uh, there's an unknown killer in a dark old house. There's uh, the references to going to the police station, which they did in both, and the use of the mm -hmm. darkness and corridors and upstairs of a house. Yes. I can, you could tell that he, while he was doing gay porn, he was obviously watching Black. <laughs> <laughs> well, his claim is that it was inspired by the Stanley Kubrick movie, Barry Lyndon, where they lit by candlelight. But I'm, I think yours is better. So I'm going with that one, Bill. Let's just go know. with that. Let's, let's just go with that. Let's go with that. Yeah. Let's just go with that. All right. So. Jackson, you're the aspiring filmmaker here. What else do you want to talk about in regards to my C&D love for Hell Knight? Well, I, I agree with Greg definitely that it does drag in a few parts. Um, I think it could have been an hour 30 rather than an hour 40. Yeah. Uh, just cut some of the fat out and, uh, and make it tighter. Some of the parts when they're kind of walking around, I think of the one part um, whenever Peter is, is walking around trying to find a way out. Uh, and he's just, you know, he'll stop and look around and then walk a little bit and stop and look around. Uh, when it finally does get to his death, I think it's a good death. It's satisfying. Yeah. But um, it, it, it's a little dragged out. And I think the whole scene uh, where uh, he, the surfer dude, you know, climbs over the, the gate, it's a really long scene. I, I mean, I think we get four or five shots of him struggling to, you know, pull himself up and over. It's just cutting back and forth and back and forth with him barely making any progress. And I don't think he actually even cut his uh, or tore his shirt. Yeah, no. He, when he when he <laughs> stabs himself, that's a thought I had. When he stabs himself on the on the um, gate, it doesn't look like it gets his skin, just his shirt. But for some reason, blood comes spurting out. Um, so you know, whatever. <laughs> 
That's just how and we all know what we were thinking in that scene as guys. At least guys are sitting yeah, there thinking, and, and it's, you and know it's, what you, the shot you want, which is, <laughs> is his junk going to get torn when and, he goes over that? It's, and that's, it's that's foreshadowed, right? I mean, I thought that was going to happen. It's foreshadowed earlier. I think Peter says, has a line about that. He does. Um, he does. So I was sure that was going to happen, but I didn't, I didn't, I was like, okay, this is early in the movie for something so, like, trauma like this to be happening. But, uh, yeah, just cuts his shoulder, and that leads me to my next problem with the movie which is that the cops don't believe him even though he obviously has a gaping uh stab wound in his shoulder yes. and he's obviously not acting i mean the actor is acting but for for a college student i think he does a pretty good job they wouldn't think oh it's just trying to pull a prank on us he's got a gaping stab wound he says there's been a murder and they're like oh you college kids we got to go clean up some toilet paper yeah they're treating so, it like the yeah, the kid from the goonies is calling it about yeah. <laughs> exactly so i'm let me ask you, because you're the aspiring horror filmmaker, is the better scene to have the cops drive up with Vincent Van Patten's character and the cops to get killed by Andrew? Is that the better next scene? I think that would be marginally better, but I think a better uh, thing to do is to somehow make the cops inaccessible. Um, somehow, like you can't get to them in time. There's like a ticking time bomb or something. There's it would a make fire, more sense. or there's there's some sure. something going on. Yeah, sure. It would make more sense that way than he just goes in and they deny him, so he just steals a shotgun from the shotgun room, um, I, which I guess is a room. <laughs> um, you were talking about that earlier. That's not an evidence room. What evidence room only has guns? You know, you'd think you'd see more jewelry and and stuff like that, but it's just shotguns and rifles. Uh, Jackson, just, once again, there are no plot holes in this movie. Uh, we yes, absolutely. <laughs> the only hole in this movie is the one in the floor underneath the rug that Andrew disappears into. Which is somehow. not a plot hole here. It happens. Yeah. Um, yeah, come on. Um. So that those are my biggest problems with the movie. Um, I, I mean, it was, it's a fun watch, but, uh, you definitely notice that, that this is my first viewing. So maybe if I, if I go into it, uh, knowing that that's going to happen, I can accept it more. The other part, I wish they had to discovered the, uh, or explored the basement more with the room oh, where yeah. they find the, the, the dead girl mm-hmm. and the, and the tan. Yeah. So we kind of got like, that, that Texas Chainsaw feel I got. Yeah, we only get like three shots of that of that yeah. cool, like, uh, all the bodies are posed. And I think it's probably because they didn't want you to look too long at it to notice the, the finer details of the corpses in this whole uh, diorama. But, um, yeah, I thought that was really creepy. That whole basement section uh, with those, like, cave passages was really creepy to me, and I wish we had spent more time down there. Yeah, that was a budget issue. Um because they were shooting that part on a set that they were renting. Um, I understand this had a $1.4 million budget. It only made $2.3 million. People see that and say, oh, it made money. No, it didn't. Um, here's what I learned in Hollywood. When you see a $1.4 million budget, that's production budget, not marketing budget. Mm-hmm. And typically marketing um, of a film is equal to the production budget. So this one broke even basically? This one actually probably lost because it put Compass International out of out of business. It probably lost about half a million dollars. If it had a one point four million dollar budget, that means with marketing, it was two point eight million. It made two point three. And this was before because it was in 1981. This is before the video boom where you could make money back on home video. Mm hmm. And that was the problem that it had. And so, yeah, it, it actually lost money. It put Compass out of business. 
um, Irwin Yablons. He was one of the reasons he pushed for Halloween three season of the witch was because this movie had lost money. Um, he was trying to make money back. Unfortunately, he didn't make much on Halloween three. It's yeah, it's this, this money, this movie did not make money. It's become a cult classic, you know, after years. And, I think deservedly so, because, again, it has no plot holes. But <laughs> I, 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 you know, it's yeah, at the time it was it was a bit of a flop. It was a bit of a flop. So what else, uh, gentlemen, do you want to talk about? Starting with you, Greg, is there anything else you want to bring up about Hell Knight? Uh, no, I mean, I'm, I'm glad that I saw it. It was uh, on, a, on a list many, many years ago from uh, – horror movie podcast where they covered all the eighties and it was on that list right. of slashers and, and, um, of I course, believe it's, Greg it's, Mortis brought it up. He likes it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And it, it wasn't one that got forgotten. It's just kind of got put back into a, you know, a, a back burner in the back kitchen in the back house kind of a thing. So, um, and once you threw it out there, uh, I was like, heck yeah, man, I'm going to check this sucker out and, Pleasant surprise that it had um, Linda Blair and and Vincent Van Patten, mm -hmm. definitely a name that you know one remembers. Um, really, no major complaints, except for that, like the 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 tightness. But right. again, that it was the early '80s, and they were they were messing with a formula that had not been um, figured out a hundred percent quite yet. So right. with knowing what year it came out and who, who was in it, uh, I don't think I'd be giving it a one out of a four. Um, I'm settling more for like, you know, a, a, a six out of 10, a three out okay. of five kind of the thing, you know, it's, it's on the plus side of things. It's not the greatest thing, obviously with all those of that nice plot structure that we have discussed, but you know, it's it's one that I think if you're into that kind of a movie, if you're into horror and especially the slashers from the 80s, um, it's definitely worth that watch for that hour and 40 minutes. And with Tubi TV, you know, it's not going to cost you anything but that time. Right. Right. Exactly. So, Bill, what about you? What do you what are your overall thoughts on Hell Night? Well, uh, one thing we didn't brought, bring up that I thought yep. I liked was their use of the musical score. Yeah, uh, I thought the musical score was pretty well because if you just watch it and and forget about the dialogue and just listen to scenes with the music that's done, I mean it's got a bit of that eighty synth stuff, but it's not too badly done actually for the music mm -hmm. and the ambiance with it. Mm -hmm. Kind of got kind of that giallo feel in terms of the music kind of playing out the scenes, which I liked. And the other thing I found is it it fell into the trap of at the end of the trope of the damn car won't start. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. It, it, thank God she's a master mechanic and her dad owned a garage because she was able to figure it out. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, that wasn't telegraphed or anything. No, 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 no. No plot hole there at all. No. There's no plot <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> but the the other part that I thought they could have gotten a bit more into was when the uh, guys from the fraternities were doing all the shenanigans on the outside. I thought they could have explored that a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden they just all of a sudden oh they can't get something done and they get killed, like they could have played up the uh, we're trying to screw with them in the house angle a bit more. I thought they could have. Yeah, and especially because I think Kevin Brophy is a pretty talented actor. I, I thought he was doing a good job. I mean, he's not gonna he's not threatening you know Denzel Washington or anyone for an Oscar, but I think he was still solid enough that we could have hung with him more. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I mean, I, they could have cut out ten minutes of. 
walking through dark corridors with flashlights and Mm -hmm. put in a bit more of that part of the story. But overall, I'd give it about a six and a half out of ten. Okay. Uh, I'd say if you're a fan of like 1980 to 1984 highlight of the slasher genre type of deal, you can do a lot worse. I mean, you and I have both seen a lot worse than this. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, it's, and I'm kind of surprised that the director didn't go on to more because it looks like he has the chops there. And I don't know if it was blackballed because of his uh, previous type of production right. or he just didn't have the ambition or it lost money. Nobody wanted to touch it, whatever. But I think he could have gone on to a little bit better than what his end results of his career gave him. Yeah, because visually, I think this is actually a pretty good-looking movie. I mean, you know, I thought visually he did a good job. Yeah. yeah so it's a, it's, it's, it's a shame, but, you know, that's what happens when you shoot porn and then you try to get into the yeah. mainstream. Unless you're Wes Craven. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he got away with it, but not many other people do. Yeah. Uh, all right, Jackson, what about you, buddy? Well, I just had two more things to say about the movie. Um, first is that, uh, that that thing about Marty being a mechanic. I had no idea where that was going. I thought that was just that quirky kind of teen dialogue that, that horror movies like to do. Um, and I, I do appreciate that it came back, but it felt kind of like, okay, well, Chekhov's gun. We set it up in the first act. You know, we've got to have her fix the car. Okay, so the car won't start. Um, so, I mean, it's better than just leaving that, you know, useless, like kind of a dead end, but, um, kind of, kind of funky, uh, little Andrew, I want to talk about him. They call him little Andrew, even though he's big Andrew at the end. Um, he is utterly terrifying. Probably one of the scarier slasher villains I've seen. That is one of the things, the reason why this scared the crap out of me when I was 10 years old, that guy scared the crap out of me. I mean, I find him personally scarier than most of the Jason designs, most of the Jason Voorhees designs, except maybe part four and part seven. Um, I think he is he's really gnarly looking and has and a part two, which is the greatest one in the franchise. Yeah, yeah. And part two. I think part 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 two, four and seven have the gnarly looking Jasons. But uh, his appearance, Andrew's appearance, his brutal kills and, you know, his chilling backstory uh, really make him like a three pronged attack on your senses. So um, him and his brother, I think, were really scary. And, and I, I wish we would have seen more of them and maybe known more about their backstory. But I was sure we were going to get, you know, at the end of this movie, I was like, there has to be a prequel, right? We have to see this Garth uh, family backstory going down. But uh, I don't think that happened as far as I know. Um, but that, that would have been interesting and maybe something I will write down, you know, for the future. Maybe I should make it. There a, you go. Well, uh, with the Garth family and the Jackson Rawlings, Netflix series, the exactly. prequel and the remake of Hell Knight. <laughs> well, I'll do, <laughs> I'll do it for Shudder. I think it would be better suited for Shudder. Um, hey. if they're willing to, if they're willing to finance it, you know, I'll, I'll do that. But, yeah. uh, as far as the rating and recommendation goes, I would give this a 7.5 out of 10. Yes. I would call it definitely a watch. You should go and watch this on Shutter or Tubi. If you have Shutter, why not? But it is free on Tubi with ads. Uh, if you if you want to watch that, um, and from what you're saying, it sounds like it's got a really great uh, home release. So oh, the Shout Factory you, Blu-ray is, looks fantastic. If, yeah. If you really like that and you're into image quality and uh, like a good print, invest in that because I think it is worth it for some people. I really appreciated the mystery aspects as well as the fact that it's a really solid early slasher. So 7.5 is where I stand, though that may you know fluctuate in the future on, upon future viewings. 
And let me say, I'm looking at my Shout Factory Blu-ray, uh, the special features, new 4K scan from the best film print, interviews and commentary with cast and crew, including mm -hmm. actress Linda Blair, director Tom DeSimone, producer Bruce Cohn Curtis, and Erwin Blondes, TV spots, theatrical trailer. Now, that being said, know this going on, going in, um, I'm pretty sure Linda Blair's drunk. So, um, <laughs> Big surprise. Because they learn, the opening commentary is in the opening shot. The director and producer go, so this took, what, four hours to set up? Yeah, it took four hours. Linda Blair goes, hey, did this take eight hours to set up? <laughs> like uh no linda we just said it was four hours oh and it's that kind of commentary with linda blair she's all over the place i'm pretty sure she had a couple of vodka tonics before she you know, sat <laughs> for the commentary but anyway i love this movie i will fully acknowledge that people say it has flaws um <laughs> not you no this this film has no plot holes whatsoever no i really like it I'm with you, Jackson. I give it 7.5 out of 10. I say it is a high-priority stream because you can go to Tubi or you can go to Shudder, even though I own it. If you're a child of the 80s like me, I think you'll dig it. I know Greg Amortis likes it a lot. Um, I did write a review for it over on HNP a few years ago, a few Halloweens ago when it came out on Blu-ray. Uh, the commentary track on the Blu-ray is more than 20 years old. It's from the first DVD release, but it's still worth um, listening to, even if Linda Blair is not paying attention to anyone else that she's sitting in the room with. So I, I recommend you go ahead and at least stream it. But I would say if you're a big 80s slasher fan, it's a buy. So folks, I want to say thanks for listening. Please subscribe, rate, and review. We'd appreciate a five-star review. You can check out our website, including our blog at fatherandsonwatchhorror.com. And we also are on Twitter and Instagram, and we have a closed Facebook page. But Greg, where can they find you online, buddy? Hey, hey you can find me anywhere. You can <laughs> find Facebook. Greg Bench literally anywhere. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. I'm all over the place, just a creeper. So, yep. Uh, mostly just Facebook, uh, Land of the Creeps. Uh, You're on Twitter. Or movie though, podcast. Twitter, yeah. Um, just posting about horror. So if you see me, check it, check it out. Uh, did, does your Blu-ray have the tagline for the movie? It does. It is pray for day. For day. Yes. Uh, yeah, you know what that, they should? They I just should, thought that was perfect. They should put um, on the Blu-ray cover, this movie has no plot holes uh, with the credit past the movie has no plot holes. Okay, I, let's, let's see if, if Shout Factory will put that as the new tagline. because I think take Shout Factory as a sponsor, yes. and I gladly put my stamp on this. <laughs> this movie has no plot holes. Great. <laughs> <laughs> it'll, oh. sell, it'll sell a thousand copies now. There you go. There you go. There you go. All right, Bill, where they can where can they find you, buddy? Uh, they can find me uh, if they listen to Land of the Creeps podcast yes. with the great Greg Amortis and uh, Encyclopedia Knowledge, Dr. Dave Becker. Sometimes we get Sean Davis, Justin Beam, Greg, Dave Roy, yourself, whoever happens to be popping by. Uh, you can find me on Facebook. Message hook, hook me up and I'll give you a shout. I do on Letterboxd from time to time and I'm usually on the message board on HMP. So give me a holler if you want to talk sports, horror, or classic rock. Hey, there you go. So Jackson, where, the, where can they find you, buddy, online? 
On Twitter, I'm at Kane underscore Hero12. That's K-A-I-N-E underscore Hero12, one word. Um, on Letterboxd, which I post to pretty often, that's Kane Hero, one word. Um, I've been trying to watch as many movies as I can, but uh, you know how school is. They, they, they just hate me watching movies. I think that should be their tagline. <laughs> um, but uh, just to name off a few recently, of course, I saw Slumber Party Massacre for a coverage oh, of that on the podcast. Yeah. But also movies like Memento. So there's a big uh, gap in uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, cinematic quality, I think, objectively to most uh, with Memento. Hey, Slumber Party no Massacre. shame, buddy. I love Memento. Hey, I rewatched Tootsie last night. So, you know, yeah. Hey. There you go. Yeah. So, uh, so you can find me on, on Twitter and Letterboxd and uh, just uh, shoot me a message. And I'm always willing to talk about horror. Absolutely. And I'm on Twitter and Letterboxd at Pastor Matt R. Be sure to check out the fine podcast that Jackson and I love. Like we said, Land of the Creeps, L-O-T-C. We love that podcast, which Bill is on. HMP, Retro Movie Geek, the huh podcast from our <laughs> buddies Dino and Michelle. Be sure to check those out. We have a few guests lined up over the next um, few months, but others are welcome to jump on. We usually record Sunday afternoons around 3 o'clock Eastern Standard Time. Uh, we've been trying lately to pick movies that we know are streaming on Shutter or Amazon Prime. And so, Jackson, you were kind enough to pick Hell Knight mm-hmm. this week. Would you like to know what I picked for us? I would week? love to. Would you? Mm-hmm. Are you ready for this, buddy? Yeah, lay it on me. It's on Shutter. Okay. Tammy and the T Rex. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> Why? Tammy and the T-Rex? Copious notes can be taken. No, 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 no. You're messing with me. This is this is a big this is a big ploy. No, 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 no. Tammy and the okay, T-Rex. Okay, hold on. One, I've never seen it. It is on Shutter, and I also believe it's on Showtime on Demand. If you have that, so this is the thing. One, I'm sure it'll probably provoke fine existential questions about existence, like oh. why am I watching this, and. Now, the PG-13 version was was absolute crap. I haven't seen it, but I've just heard from people who have this is crap. And so the R-rated version is out there by Vinegar Syndrome. It is unclear on Shudder whether or not they have put up the Vinegar Syndrome R-rated version with all the gore or whether or not it's the PG-13. It looks to me like P- it looks to me like it's PG-13 because okay, it, says, okay. it says PG-13 beside the the uh, year, but that might be outdated. So if it is the PG-13 version, mm-hmm. I will call an audible. And okay. instead, we will watch 1980s. It's from 1980. It's an anniversary prom night. Okay, now we're talking. Okay, Tammy and the T-Rex. But Not... if it's the R-rated version... Fine. We'll about Tammy and the all right, all right. I'll 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 give you that. Tammy this and the T-Rex. This may be the last episode of Father and Son Watch Horror Movie. Yeah. This is the, this is the this is the straw that breaks the camel's back. Tammy and the T-Rex. Uh, which I mean, just look at the poster, guys. Uh, it's it's something. But, uh, Paul Walker, Terry Kaiser. It gets four point five on IMDb. Hey, there you go. See there. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but Hell Knight got five point eight. <laughs> Oh, man. Okay, okay, okay. I will watch Tammy the T-Rex, then I will decide whether or not. We'll watch it, and then we'll decide whether or not it's worth discussing. How's that? And if it's not, we'll do Prom Night, the original Prom Night. All right. So, all right, folks. So, we appreciate you tuning in. We thank Greg and, and Bill for being on. Jackson, say goodbye to the good people. 
Goodbye, and remember, Quaaludes, they do murder on your skin. <laughs> hey, <laughs> that line, by the way, just can I say, that is cinematic gold. Quaaludes are murder on it your is. skin. Oh, it's, it's gold, buddy. Gold. Again, there are no plot holes in no this film. Holes. Okay, so <laughs> until next time, remember, the family that watches horror together slays together. See y'all.